0: member of Natural Praise since 2008, so five years. Um, and I just want to testify to you this morning about God's faithfulness. God has been so faithful in my life uh, these past five years. God has always kept me. I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging bread. And I just want to tell you guys, I've been waiting and waiting and waiting for God's provision, for God to provide for me. And you know what? He did it in a very good way. And I want to let you know, those of you who are waiting on God, who need jobs, who need God to provide, if you are his righteous, he is going to do it for you. He is going to make a way out of no way. And you just got to keep the faith and keep on going. I want to give you this scripture, it's in 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, and it says, however, it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. So just resonate on that today as you worship, God has got your back. Amen. Thank you, God, for this worship, Lord God. We ask for your presence today, Lord God. We ask that you will come like a mighty rushing wind. We open our hearts and our minds to you. We believe that you are our provider, Lord God. And we give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Come on, amen. How many of y'all ready to worship this morning? Come on, isn't Jesus worthy of our praise this morning? Of just our total abandonment? Come on why don't you just lose your mind for jesus amen let's just start thinking of how good he is how great he is right now come on right now before we start singing these songs in worship just start thinking in your mind man how good jesus is that he would leave his throne in heaven and he would come to this earth and die on the cross for us so that we can know him right now two thousand years later amen we worship you Come on, you're going to be really challenged this morning to worship the Lord. Come on, our karaoke screen is not working for us this morning. But it doesn't matter because all the songs we're singing are from our heart. So right now, Jesus, we give you our heart. We give you this time. And God, we say that you are good. Every time, not just on Sunday mornings from 10 a.m. to 12. But every day, God, you're good. And we bless your name. Going to help me sing this song. Put your hands together this morning. Mm-hmm. Help me sing, I want to scream it out. I want to scream it out. The every mountain top your goodness knows no bounds your goodness never stops your mercy follows me your kindness fills my life your love amazes me when we sing i'll sing it's the voice and i'll sing because you are good and i'll dance because you are good and i'll shout because you are good you are good to me, and I'll sing because you are good, and I'll dance because you are good, and I'll shout because you are good, you are good. Oh, you're good. Oh. You're so good to me. I want to sing nothing and no one. When nothing and no one comes anywhere close to you. The earth and oceans deep only reflect this truth. And in my darkest nights, you shine as bright as day. Your life amazes me. And I'll sing. And I'll sing because you are good and I'll you are good, and I'll shout because You are good. You are good to me, and I'll sing because You are good, and I'll dance because You are good, and I'll shout because You are good. You are. Won't sing with a cry, with a cry of praise. My heart will proclaim, You are good. You are good. In the sun or rain, my life separates. You are good. You are good. Come on with a cry. With a cry of praise, my heart will proclaim. You are good. Oh, come on, church, say You are good. You are good. In the sun or rain, my life said the you are good, you are good, and I'll sing because you are good and I'll dance. We'll sing it out and I'll shall lift up a shout of praise. Yes, you are good to me. I'll see you, you are good, and I'll dance. We we'll dance for you. You are good. You are good to me. Oh, Let the shout a praise. You're worthy, Lord. You're worthy, God. I found a love, oh, I found a love greater than life itself. I found a hope was stronger than nothing compares. I once was lost. alive in the Lord Jesus today. Give Him praise this morning. Oh, give Him praise. We praise You, Lord. We praise You this morning, God, for all that You are. Oh, Your Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, come and fill our hearts this morning, God, with Your love. Oh, with your joy, with your goodness, God. Ah, we need you, Lord. Oh-oh. Oh, Come on, we're going to sing that again. When I call, I want us to call the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Because in our own strengths, we're enabled. If the solution to life, if everything that we needed was found in ourselves, we wouldn't need Jesus. We wouldn't have needed the cross. But that's not the case. And God demonstrates his love for this. While we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. So is anybody in need of the love of Jesus Christ? Come on, is anybody in need of the presence of the Lord? Come on, we're going to sing this again. And call on his name. Come on. 好 oh. I found a love, come on, church say. I found, we found you, Lord. Oh, come and fill this place, oh Lord, with your presence, God. Holy Spirit, take control. Now, would you just sing it in the space? Oh, nanamase. Oh, Ramaso Oh, can fill us up? More? Oh, Sonana Massey. And I'm a to our hearts from the Lord, oh this service is yours, this worship is yours, Holy Spirit we ask right now God that you would give us words, God that you would use your church God to speak, to lift up the congregation, come speak to us this morning God, come on we're just going to leave this time open right now for you to be led of the Lord this morning come on, God may give you a word for the body And just speak it out in this town.
0: according to my purpose. You are my prophets. You are my apostles. You are my pastors. Man cannot change or distort the plan that I have for you. You are called by me. You are mine.
1: Man cannot change the plan that I have for you. Come on, just take some time right now go speaking to the body this morning if that was to you just draw closer to the lord when we come close to the lord you speak to our heart Yeah. Churches sing, I exalt with And I exalt do in the voices we exalt Above, high above every principality, every kingdom on earth, we exalt you.
2: praise right now. We love you, Jesus. We exalt you today, God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Would you just remain standing with me for a few moments? Because I have a very tough word I have to share with you, but we need to hear it right now because our nation is in trouble with Newtown and then the Boston Marathon. I mean, our nation is in trouble then there's two things we need to do as a congregation because I believe the answer to our nation is right here. Look at your neighbor and say, you're the answer. Come on, I believe that. This is not just a slogan, but you are the answer. Righteous men and women built this nation and unrighteous ones are tearing it down. But through righteousness, we can establish this nation again. Two things we need to hear proverbs chapter 14 verse 34 would you open your bible if you have it but remain standing because we're going to pray and intercede for our nation today you know i hear on the internet and on the radio you know on tv we're praying for boston we're praying for boston and i praise god that there are god fearers in our nation that know to pray i mean that's a wonderful thing i do not come against that at all but my question is do they know how to pray I I would guess that most people don't know how to pray because we're not just saying well wishes for Boston we just hope they get better or we just hope things change we need to pray a very specific way and God taught us how to pray Proverbs chapter 14 verse 34 somebody say two things the first thing is righteousness exalts a nation somebody say righteousness exalts a nation Thank you. That means good things unto God bring that nation up. So that means we have to be righteous in God's eyes. We as a nation need to obey his commands. And I want you to understand this. God hates violence upon uh, innocent people. He absolutely deplores it. He hates the death of innocent people. The Bible even says he even hates it when wicked people die because he knows they're going to suffer forever in hell. So he takes no pleasure in any kind of violence or wickedness. But the pattern of the Old Testament and the New Testament is very, very clear. That when we turn from righteousness, when we turn from God's ways, there is wrath that comes Not because God forces a Muslim to bomb or a communist to act crazy, but because he lifts his hand of protection. He can't bless what we have cursed. And what we have cursed, he can't bless. So if we're saying, God, we don't want you in our schools. God, we don't want you in our nation. God will not then protect those people. Now, the beauty of this nation is is there's not all but wicked people here. And as a matter of fact, there's more God-fearing people than there is any other majority of people. But yet we as Christians have been like pushed into the closet where we're afraid to say what is righteous. It is righteous to let children live in the womb. It's wicked to kill unborn babies. That's wicked. It's righteous to protect marriage between a man and a woman. It's sin to say that men and men and women and women can get married. That's a sin. It's righteous to say that media and, and, and TV stars and basketball stars who live perverted lifestyle sex outside of marriage and drunkenness and drugs, that's wickedness. And it's right to say that holiness, godly living, keeping it to marriage, and this is right so we can't promote Lady Gaga or whoever was invited to the White House, these ungodly rappers and ungodly musicians. We can't perform and do this at the White House, remove the Bible from our nation and then say lies about Islam like Islam is a peaceful religion. You may know peaceful Muslims, but the religion at a whole, the Quran itself is demonic and violent. I have a book written on it. It's the truth. We can't tell lies and make it go away. You know, Charles Manson was a nice guy. You just didn't really get to know him. You know, Muhammad, he's just like Jesus. No, he's not. Jesus never lifted a sword. Jesus was crucified. Muhammad fought and took over lands. Ask the people of Turkey, Greece. Ask the people of Assyria. Ask these people what has happened to them in their lands. Ask Israel what they suffered day in and day out. It's right to call a false prophet a false prophet when he's false. Islam is a false religion that teaches its believers to kill and murder. Now, you may say, I know peaceful ones. Praise God. They're not following the Quran. Praise God. Don't follow it. Don't be consistent. Be a hypocritical Muslim because we love you peaceful. Don't be a radical Muslim. Please, we beg you. Second thing, everybody say, second thing. But sin condemns any people. So when we do what's right and we say, yep, sin is sin, that's right. And we begin to live that way, God exalts us, lift us up. But if we begin to sin, it will condemn any people. So you look at the church, and this is what I believe the Bible says in Jeremiah 23 and in Ezekiel 33. When the church stopped preaching against these sins, the culture began to identify with them and it became normative. And so it started in the church Then it went to the politicians and to the people And so now because the head is sick The church, which we're supposed to be the leadership We're supposed to be a city on a hill Guiding the the righteous climate of a nation Because the lights have gone out in many churches And morality has left And there's just as much uh, corruption in the pulpit As there is in the pew Now sin has brought down our nation So the question is now for you and I today This is our nation this is the place where we are non third generation. You may be first generation. You may go all the way back to the time of when they first got off the boat. It doesn't matter. You're here now. This is your nation and you have a choice. Will you live righteously and exalt this nation or will you live in sin and bring it down? That's the first thing you need to know personally is that you're held responsible for the kind of life you live. You may say, man, it, does, it doesn't hurt anybody when I go to a Lady Gaga concert. It doesn't hurt anybody when I, you know, do a little corruption with my business, you know, here on the side with a co-worker, and we kind of siphon off the top what nobody notices. You may think what you do wickedly in private doesn't affect anybody, but it does. Because when everybody starts acting the way you're acting without a moral compass, we see what we see right now. And then you might say to yourself, well, pastor, I don't know if it matters, you know, if, if I don't get drunk. I don't know if it matters if I'm a tither, if I'm committed to God, if I help out because I'm just one person. But that's a lie because if one person does it, you can influence another person and then another person. And we can fill these chairs up with righteous men and women. We can go to the streets and preach God's gospel. We can flood the businesses. We can flood the schools. Princeton, Harvard, Yale, all of this used to be Bible colleges. Do you know that Northwestern University in Chicago was the first university established by Methodist preachers? Now go to Northwestern and ask them, if they believe in God, the professors. But you know what? If you get educated, become a professor, then we got one godly professor there, then two, then three, then four. And then if you vote according to righteousness, then we start getting out the corruption. And then we start seeing righteous people in government. It all starts with one person. So the the first question I want to ask you is, what do you personally want? And then the second thing I want to ask you is, will you pray for our nation, for those who are making the wrong decision? Because I'm assuming that you being here, you're either a really, really good hypocrite Or you actually care about our nation and I believe that you do I believe majority of you here do so we're going to believe God you're going to make that decision and keep with it and then number two I'm going to ask you to pray for those who are not keeping that decision because to me that's how we pray for our nation the man's legs who are amputated right now there's nothing we can do I mean we can pray and say God give him happiness in life let him you know be rehabilitated take away his depression I mean that's a real genuine prayer but my prayer is is god i pray that muslims stop attacking us and i pray that you stop debasing us and punishing us because of our sin that's my big prayer are you all listening to me let's start number one individually would you pray right now to yourself individually and make a decision for righteousness if you've been living in sin a part of the cause of the trouble we have would you repent The Bible says the deeds of the flesh are obvious. Repent of bitterness, anger, wrath, greed, selfish ambition, perversion, jealousy, lust, envy, strife, heresy. If you you, you believe something that's not true, and just say this with me, Jesus, cleanse me, wash me. By the blood of your Holy Ghost, by the blood of Jesus. Come on, say, wash me, Jesus. Holy Spirit, take the blood of Jesus and cleanse me. Now I want you to begin to pray for this nation. I want you to think of wherever you see wickedness, wherever you see compromise, wherever you see us turning our back on God, whether it's in schools or on your child or in politics or with the children in abortion clinics, uh, in morality with marriages, wherever you see wickedness on the streets, uh, in our teenagers' lives, pray right now that God will rid our nation of this, that holiness will come, that people will be saved. Come on, pray pray for lost people to get convicted. Come on, y'all still at a library? This is a prayer meeting right now. Jesus, save our nation. Forgive us of our wickedness. Cleanse us, O Lord. Take away, God, the violence from our teenagers the love of money. Lord, we pray that this demonic religion, Islam, will be stopped not by violence, but by the preaching of your gospel. We pray for Muslims to get saved in Jesus' name. We call for dreams and visions to invade their hearts. Hallelujah, Lord. Jesus, we pray for you to rid corruption from our politicians. We pray for corruption to leave this city in Jesus' name, our nation. Oh, God, make us holy so you can bless us again. Make us holy so you can bless us, Jesus. Come on, 30 more seconds, saints. Pray for your neighbor. Pray for your fellow co-worker. Pray for somebody to get saved this week if we all saw one person saved this week we could start a revival jesus could start something wonderful in this city if we all just saw somebody repent like they did in jonah's day in nineveh if old wicked nineveh could repent by jonah's preaching we can see people repent in this city come on some of you baptized in the holy spirit begin to intercede in tongues hallelujah praying the mind of the spirit in the name of jesus In the name of Jesus, Satan, you must flee. Loose this nation. Loose Islamic mindsets. Loose the spirit of perversion upon these people. Loose them and let them go corruption and violence in Jesus' name. And now lastly, would you pray for peace to all those who are affected by this this tragedy. Just say, peace be still. Come on, peace be still in their hearts to the young man who lost his legs, to those who suffered injury, to the families who lost their loved ones. Lord, wrap your arms of compassion around them, Jesus. Oh, God, let them sense the love of a father today. Let them be reminded, God, in times like these, how much they need you. Oh, Jesus, share your love with them today, all those who've been terrorized by this, God. Pour out your spirit, Jesus. Let everyone be drawn close to you, Father. Let everybody be touched by you, God. Oh, Reba Kondele In the name of Jesus. Now, would you just grab somebody's hand right now and let's just pray for each other that God will protect us and keep us safe. Just say, Lord, bless my neighbor to the left and to the right of me. If you can pray any more than that, you're pretty awesome. But just start right there. Lord, bless my neighbor. Lord, bless my neighbor. God, may this church be protected. May the people here be leaders wherever they go. May they speak your word with grace and love and compassion. May their children grow up safe. Oh, God, may they be blessed, God. May they be an example, oh, Lord. God, protect your people, not only us, but everywhere your people are, God. In the name of Jesus. For you are able, God, to keep us in these times of wickedness. You are able, God. You are able, Jesus. I want you to hear this song. Just keep holding hands, but I want you to hear this because we're going to give a shout of praise to God. But in uh, in 1768, John Dixon, a patriot, wrote this song during the American Revolution, and it's called the Liberty Song, and this is what he wrote. This is the song, then join hand in hand. Is is anybody hand in hand today? Man, I wish we could just stretch it. Can you come to me? (laughs) Come on. Join hand in hand brave Americans all by uniting we stand by dividing we fall in so righteous a cause remember righteousness exalts a nation in so righteous a cause let us hope to succeed for heaven approves to each generous deed if you believe God can bless us in a righteous nation by living by his commands can you give him now a hand clap of praise come on somebody Amen. Amen. Would you now slap somebody high five and say, United we stand. Come on, United we stand. You may be seated. Thank you.
3: Amen. Praise the Lord. God is good. We would like to dismiss the children at this time. So if you have little ones under the age of five or five to ten, we're going to be dismissing King's kids at this moment. Stephanie is right here to the sound booth. She will be able to take your children to the back. It's good to see everybody here with us at Metro Praise International this morning. My name is Nancy Wyrostek. I'm one of the apostolic elders, and I'm going to be preaching to you this morning the gospel. If this is your first time here or you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, you have never asked him to forgive you of your sin, live in your heart. You are not born again. This message is for you this morning. If you could please turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 through 28. I'll give you a few seconds to get there. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 and 28. If you are there, please say, I'm there. Verse 27 And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear. The second time, say the second time, without sin unto salvation. I want to let you know this morning that every single one of us will face death and judgment. The Bible is very clear about eternity. You will either spend eternity in heaven with him forever, or you will spend eternity in hell. My question to you this morning is where will you spend eternity? The only way to get to heaven is to be born again to confess your sins to Jesus, to ask him to be the Lord and Savior and the boss of your life. If you have not done that today, I want to be very clear with you on what the Bible says. With compassion in my heart, you will not make it to heaven. So if you have not done that, if you have not confessed Jesus as your Savior, you are headed for eternity in hell and you are not promised one more moment. You are not promised tomorrow to get it right. Jesus came the first time as a baby in a manger, to die for the sins of the whole world. And the Bible teaches that he will come a second time. We commonly refer to that as the rapture. And he will take all of those that have believed in him and we will meet with him in the clouds, meet him in the air in the clouds. Will you be left behind or will you be raptured when Jesus comes back as a ruling and reigning king? Because we are living in the last times. And there may be a moment in that Whenever that happens, we don't know when that will be. But let's say it's a Sunday and you're on your way to church. The doors will not be open. We will not be here. Do you want to be left behind? With all eyes closed all across this room, My two questions for those that don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. Where will you spend eternity? Have you gotten your life right with God? And or will you be left behind when the rapture happens? I want to pray for you today. And I pray that you respond to Jesus after this moment. Lord, I thank you for your power and your presence in this place. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would convict hearts of sin right now. For those that are not right with God, for those who are playing the game I pray, God, for those that have continually rejected you or are pushing you away and saying, I have more time. God, I pray that today will be the day that they get saved. Today will be the day for salvation. God, I pray that right now by your loving kindness, lead them to repentance so that they can spend eternity with you in heaven or so that they will not be left behind when you come back for us a second time. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said amen and amen. Please stand up to your feet with me. We're going to get ready to do our confession of faith. If the ushers can please pass out all the paper. For those that heard that message and it struck your heart, you know God is calling your name. Today is the day to make it right. We have our prayer workers, Griselda and Berto. They are willing and ready to pray for you. If you want to ask Jesus into your heart and say, today is my day to make it right. And that is your moment. After we do our meet and greet, please go and see them and join our discipleship. We have discipleship in this church, leaders who are ready to get into your life. You are not alone. Amen. If you have your paper, A Confession of Faith, please raise it up in the air so I can see who has one. We're going to give a couple more seconds here. How many of you guys love just paper and ink? Come on, old school. Who needs technology? Ain't nobody got time for that. All right, on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. In the second coming of jesus who will judge the living and the dead i believe in the eternal reward of believers in jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in jesus i believe in the united church of jesus christ built upon apostles and prophets elders and deacons in which the gates of hell shall not prevail i believe in the salvation for all mankind it is by faith alone in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap. Why don't you guys walk around, shake somebody's hand, give somebody a hug, have some fun this morning. to Metro Praise International it is good to see everybody here this morning why don't you guys look to your neighbors and say thanks for sitting next to me and look to your other neighbor and just give them a high five just give them a high five our, welcome to Metro Praise our services here are every Sundays at 10 a.m. and every Friday at 7 p.m. for the teenagers that come to elevate can I get some noise from my teenagers here elevate Those are our two main services, Sundays and Fridays. Please check out the website, mpichurch.net, for more information on that, what's going on with the youth. Our vision here at Metro Praise is very simple. It is loving God and loving people. Can you say that with me on the count of three? One, two, three. Loving God and loving people. And we desire to do that with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Our discipleship strategy, is connect, mentor, and send. Our desire here at Metro Praise is to connect you to the cross, mentor you with the cross, and send you out with the cross. And the way we do that with connecting you to the cross is through our life groups. Everybody say life groups. We have a whole list of these life groups that are going on throughout the month at the info table right in the front door when you walk into the foyer please join one of these life groups. It is where you are going to find your way to connect with us, to share life with us, and we want to share life with you. So if you have not found one to call your life group, and you could go to many of them, please do so. Today we have the Encounter Night on Sundays every week, and then the Marriage Life Group. If Ricky and Rachel can please raise their hand, they are kicking off today. But that one is, yes, make some noise. So all the married couples, I encourage you, meet with them after service, get their information, and be at their house tonight. Please remember that that one is a class-based life group. So if you do not make today's, you will not be able to attend the next two that will be going on because it's a consecutive order of lessons that they are doing. But please take a look at this. There's ministry-based, class-based, special needs-based, the single moms met last uh Sunday and the activity-based one has already met as well look to your neighbor and say come with me next time you don't want to miss out this is where you will connect to Jesus in our church and feel part of the family our second phase in discipleship strategy is mentor we desire to get into your life to teach you the basics of Christianity and the way that we do that is through our 101 book somebody say 101 it is called welcome to your new life seven steps to spiritual growth if you have not purchased one, please do so after service at the front table because it is loaded with information to help you grow in your Christian walk with the Lord. And can I get a, ra- a show of hands of leaders that are ready to go through this with somebody? Raise your hands if you can do the 101. We are ready for you. All you got to do is ask and buy this book, and we will disciple you. And also our 201, it's the second phase of our mentorship. It's every Sunday morning. It's a more in-depth class. Jared Walker teaches it. And it's got so many lessons on Christian leadership, defending the faith, living holy, living humble, uh, putting, uh, having your family in order with your marriage, your children, just living a blessed life. Somebody say a blessed life. So we desire to mentor you here. We do not want to leave you on your own. And then we want to send you out to evangelize, to tell people about Jesus. Amen? Our goal here at Metro Praise is to have 100,000 disciples with 50 churches in this city and 500 across the world. If you believe we can do that, somebody say amen and make some noise. We can do it. God is able. God is able. As we prepare to give our tithes and offerings right now to the Lord, if you could turn with me in your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. The tithe is a principle that is taught in the Bible. It is 10% of your total income. And we believe that if we give that to the Lord, his blessings will flow in our life. And then giving to missions and giving to the building fund is anything above that 10% of your income. That is between you and the Lord. If you are in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, please say, I am there. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So I just want to have you guys just take a couple moments and just check your heart. If you have not been a faithful tither, then you are allowing money to be your God, and God desires to be first in your life. A tither receives God's blessing, and it brings wealth without any trouble. God's hand will be on your life. He will provide for you. But the greed of the ungodly will destroy them. So I just want every single person in this place, from me all the way to the back, we must continually check our heart for greed. If we do not put God first by tithing, we are saying that money has become our God because we are not trusting Jesus anymore. So let's repent of that if you have not been faithful And repent of having any fear of not having enough because God promises that he will provide. Amen? If you could stand up to your feet with me, please. I want to thank you for everybody who is a faithful tither. Between you and the Lord, God will provide for you. He will be good to you. And you will have more with the 90% that you would ever have with keeping the 100% to yourself. Amen? Let's uh, recite this together. This is going to test your memory verse skills. One, two, three, we're going to, uh, it's Luke 638. On the count of three, we're going to say it together. I'm going to help you out, okay? Luke 638, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with a measure you use, it will be measured to you. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. God, and I thank you, Lord, that when we put your kingdom first, when we seek you first, all the things that we need in life, will follow. We thank you for taking care of us. We thank you for the jobs that we have. I pray, Lord God, as we continue to be faithful to you, that we would continue to experience your blessings in our life to see you move on our behalf. We entrust you, God, with all of our hearts, with all of our finances. Everything we have belongs to you. I pray that you bless and multiply everything that is given in this offering today towards missions, towards the building fund, and especially this tithe. I thank you, Lord, for your abundance in our life. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Please come forward as you give.
2: Amen. Will you open up your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 27, verses 5 and 6. If you love Jesus, can I get a woo-woo? Come on. Welcome to church Sunday morning. We love you so much. We are so glad you're here. I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 27, verse 5 and 6, and then look up here, because I want to give you a great big smile, okay? I want to give you a great big smile. Uh, I love you. I care about you. We have a brand new baby in the house. Desiree had a baby. What it's 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 a guy, a little boy, right? What's his name? Let's give it up for Liam. Come on. Welcome, Liam. We love you. All right. Ijuela is holding Liam, correct? Amen. Amen. Ijuela. Say hi to her and bless her if you have time today. Maybe take her out to lunch, do something nice. But I I just want everybody to look at me one more time. Smile at me. Amen. Because this is probably the last time you're going to see it in this message. This is probably the last time you're going to see it. And and I'm saying this because I want you to understand in my heart, I'm not angry at anybody. I'm not angry. only person I dislike is the devil. Because every other person I'm commanded to love. Amen. So I'm not angry at anybody. But I really want to share this with you with all seriousness. I know a lot of times... When we come to church, I get to have a a sense of humor with you, and I appreciate that because some churches would be offended by it, like, oh man, pastor, shouldn't be funny like that, but I'm so glad that you guys enjoyed and you let me be me, and you guys know if you see me outside of church, that's just the way I am, I'm mostly always smiling, I'm I'm having a good time, I'm I'm praying jokes on my friends, but uh, today's message is a part two to our sermon on open rebukes and trusted wounds. And as this week happened with the Boston Marathon, and I was asking the Lord, how should I finish off this message? How should I really get this point across? My heart was just grieved, and I felt the Lord give me a story, and I'm going to tell it to you, and and I'm going to get serious today. Is that okay? Okay. And here's the story that I want to tell you uh, that God put into my heart, so... I used to watch this uh, movie, uh, a TV series rather, that was called uh, To Our Duty. I don't know if anybody remembers that. And it was on TV back in the 80s, and it was about these guys in Vietnam. And it just followed them week after week. And they had this sergeant, and this sergeant was just really tough on them, man. I mean, he would yell at them all the time. He would, he would just get on their case, and it just was never easy. And, and when they would come back, you know, from their missions, he would even yell at them even more and just scream at them. It was, it was like unbearable to be with this sergeant. Well, finally, they had a break, and they got to go out with their sergeant to one of the cities there in Vietnam, and they were drinking and having fun and kicking back, and, uh, you know, one of the soldiers was was hesitant to make a joke, you know, because the sergeant was around, and the sergeant said, no, go ahead and tell the joke, go ahead and tell it, and uh, you know, he told the joke and the sergeant looked at him real serious, you know, and then all of a sudden he started laughing. And they said, oh, sergeant, you know, we didn't think you were going to laugh. We, we didn't think you were going to find this funny. And, and he goes, oh, I'm just a person like you. I'm just a person like you. And, and they go, well, man, you know, you never hang out with us out there. You never talk to us like this out there. And then he got deadly serious and he looked at him and he said, if I would have been like this out there, you would have died. Everything I was doing was so that you would live. When I was shouting, duck, it was because bullets were coming over your head. When I was telling you to check your weapon, check your weapon, it was because if you didn't have your weapon loaded, you were going to die. When I told you to follow the leader, it was because if you didn't follow them carefully, you could hit a landmine and blow up the whole entire squad. And that's the same thing I want to say to you today. Many times we say to our pastors, you know, when you hang out with me or some of our leadership, you're like, Pastor Joe, man, I love it when you have fun. I love it when you're joking around. I remember preaching a wedding one time, and some people who had left our church because they had got offended, and uh, they were at this wedding I was doing, and they came up ap- afterwards, and they said, Pastor, if you preached like that at this, that you did at this wedding, we would always come to church. That, that's how we like when you preach. And, and I'm thinking to myself, all they want is somebody to have a good time with. They don't want to hear the truth. Are you with me in Proverbs 27, 5 through 6? I'm not going to be grumpy, but I am going to be serious, just in case you're wondering. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. It is better for me as a pastor to give you an open rebuke and do it out of love to teach you right from wrong than to hide my love and just sit back and pretend to be your friend. We learned last week that people who pretend to be your friend but don't tell you what is right and wrong, their love for you, the love they confess for you is morally useless. And I cannot express this any more uh, with more passion today than after the Boston Marathon because it shows me how short life is. One of the most terrifying things that I saw in those videos was when that older man was running and then the bomb blast, the explosion, knocked him down. I'm thinking to myself, this man is seeing a finish line. He's thinking to himself, I have just accomplished one of the hardest things to do. I don't know about you, but there's no way in God's green earth I can run 20 miles. So this guy is way better than me in shape. He is seeing a finish line, and bam, it's over like that. Now, thankfully, he didn't die, but it knocked him down. Something bigger than him knocked him down. And I see this all the time in life. I watch it, you know, because I've been a pastor now for, for almost 15 years, and I'll watch them. You know, they'll start off as teenagers, and I've worked in the youth group, and they'll come to Jesus because, you know, their life's tough. They don't have the best parents or best home life. You know, maybe they made dumb mistakes, and they'll come to Jesus. But then they go to college, and they learn how to, you know, do some arithmetic. They learn how to make some money. And then before you know it, they stop going to church like they used to. And now I see them on Facebook, you know, these people that used to be in my youth group. They used to love God. And and now, you know, they have a beautiful home. They're 30 years old. They're making good money. And they're thinking to themselves, I mean, God, he's okay, but I don't need to live my life for him. I don't need to be devoted to him. I mean, God, he's, he's there when I need him on Christmas and Easter. But I don't actually need to live for him. And then all of a sudden, a tragedy will happen. Something will go wrong in their life, and bam, they're knocked down just like that because the Bible says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil is not going to let you finish your race. He is going to do everything he can to knock you out, and you will think to yourself, man, I see the finish line. Man, I am doing good. Look at how great my life is. I'm not obeying the commands. Maybe it's just one command you're breaking, but you know you're not doing what God told you to do, and you said, look at me. I'm doing so good, and then Just like that, you're knocked down because life will knock you down. God only promises, my friends, to protect and to bless and to watch after those who keep his commands. He is very serious about this. I taught you the definition so you could write them down and review with me. What is an open rebuke? It's a frank and direct word of honest criticism or disapproval. So the Bible is saying it is better for somebody to give you an open, honest disapproval than to hide their love. And what is hidden love? It's a love that's too ashamed and timid and not trusting enough to admit that correction is a part of love. If I love my daughter, I tell her things are wrong when she does things wrong. Do I have any good parents in here? Do you tell your children when they do things wrong? Isn't correction a part of that? Well, we should do that with our friends. We should do that in life. We are called, all of us, to preach the word of God. One of the most disgusting things that I ever saw was one of the largest pastors in our nation get brought onto the Larry King show, and this was a show where they were going to ask him questions about the Christian faith. You know, hey, he's the pastor of the largest church in America. You ought to know, right? I mean, that's their thinking. And, and, and he asked them, the, the, you know Larry King asked him, well, what happens if somebody doesn't know Jesus? Do so they go to heaven or hell? And he goes, well, I'm not supposed to judge. You know what he is saying? You know what he just did You know by saying, oh, I'm not supposed to judge? He, he's like knowing there's the bomb and saying to the marathon runner, I'm not going to judge you, just keep running. Knowing that the marathon runner is going right towards the bomb, but I'm not going to tell you that because I don't want to offend you today. I don't want you to stop going to my church. And, and then the, the, the host is, is literally taken back by this. And he goes, well, okay, well, what about people from other religions? You know, what if they believe something other than what you believe? Well, I don't want to judge them. And then he's even more taken away. And then he goes, what about rapists? What about murders? Well, I don't want to judge them. And you could literally see the shock on the person's face interviewing Larry King. He is like, well, then what do you really believe? He understood, listen to me please, because this can be guilty of, we could all be guilty of this. He understood the shallowness of that kind of love. That to say I love you and I'm pastoring 40,000 of you, but I can't tell you the way to heaven or hell as your pastor, that is not really love. And I give this example all the time and I will until I get a better one. So if you want to email me a better one, you can. But imagine going to a doctor. And the doctor says, I love you. And he finds out you have cancer. And he tells the nurse, don't tell them because I want them to like me. I want them to come back and see me. Is that a good doctor? It is a morally useless doctor. And if you got sick and suffered, you could sue that doctor for malpractice. And we read these scriptures last week. Ezekiel 33 says, on the day of judgments, Christians are going to have malpractice brought against them. God is going to say to Christians, why didn't you warn your community? Why didn't you warn your neighbor? And, And we're going to say, well, I was afraid. I was timid. He's going to say, now the blood of their soul is upon your hand. So if you see people around you and you're not warning them, you'll be responsible for them. Now, you want to know how the devil wants to, to intimidate you? He wants to call you a fanatic. He wants to tell you you can't talk about it on the workplace. He wants your, your friends to be tolerant and kind to everybody else. You know, it seems like every time that, uh, you know, there's a homosexual or something on a talk show or on a sitcom, he's always the open-minded, tolerant run. One, you know, he's always the one that just understands everybody's belief, the go-to person. But anytime the fundamental Christian is on the, the sitcom or the talk show, they're always the bumbling idiot. They're always the one that nobody likes. So nobody likes this idiot because he thinks he's so right, but really he's wrong. But everybody likes the understanding homosexual. This is the kind of mindset that our world wants to give you. That everybody likes Oprah. Why? Because Oprah doesn't push her beliefs on anybody. That's the supposed claim. But listen to me. Moral relativism is a belief. When people say all religions are the same, that is a religious claim. So when they go, you know, you guys think you're the only one that's right, and I don't like that. I believe that everybody's right. What they have just said is my religious opinion is right and yours is wrong, and I want to express mine, but you shouldn't be able to. Because to say everybody is right is just as much as a dogmatic statement to say everybody is wrong. It's just a dogmatic statement in a different way. And so they think we're more loving by saying everybody is right. But to me, that's more foolish because the majority of the world, Muslims, even Hindus, I've been to India, they have a they have a million gods, but they still believe their gods are the best. Eastern philosophy, I've seen Buddhist temples in, in Nepal. Listen, the majority of the world is exclusive in their religion. Muslim understand our way is the only way Jewish people understand go down the road here and talk to them in Niles and say do you think every religion is right they will tell you of course not but there's this secularist society that wants to convince you that the place of religion needs to be tolerant of everybody else. And so they will tolerate your religion as long as you have a religious belief like them, which is all religions are right. But if your religious belief says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by him, they want to call you intolerant. No, 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 no. The difference between us and them is we believe our way is the right way, But we're tolerant of your way, meaning Americans who settled here and made Christianity a part of our culture, gave freedom of religion. We didn't tell the atheists they couldn't be an atheist here. We didn't tell religions they couldn't have their religions here. That's why we're the freest nation in the world. But now today secularists want to take away your freedom and say you can't even bring religion into the workplace. You can't even put a Christmas scene upon a state uh, funded, you know, park or put a uh, nativity scene, you know, in front of this, uh, you know, government's, uh, go- governor's mansion or put Ten Commandments on the wall. Do they not understand that our that our Congress, that, that our main government opens up with prayer every single time they meet because we have a chaplain? Our, our holidays, Christmas and Easter, are national holidays. So your culture today is opposing you and they want you to give them hidden love. They don't want you to rebuke them. You'll hear things like this when you talk to your friends. Maybe you have a friend that's, uh, you know, um, know, living with someone they're not married to. And, And you'll share with them Galatians 5. And you'll say, you know, those who live this way will not inherit the kingdom of God. And they'll say, who are you to judge me? Right? We've heard things like this. And then you can take them to where I showed you before in John, where Jesus says, my words judge you. So it's not even actually heaven and hell that God is saying, I send you to heaven, I send you to hell. We are sent to heaven or hell based on whether or not we keep his words, right? So you say back to them, it's his word that judges you. Well, I don't believe that. What they want you to say at that point is, you have your way and I have my way. I don't believe your way, you don't believe my way. But, but friends, does the Proverbs say that? Does Proverbs chapter 27 verse 5 say, you have your way, I have my way? Does it say let people do whatever they want to do? No, it says better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Now, I cannot be rude in the name of Christ and expect any good to come out of that. I should not be forceful. We don't need to have a holy crusade and tie them down and make them confess Christ or burn them at the flames. But we should be able to simply say this. Okay, all right, well, I've told you, but if you don't repent of that belief, you will perish forever in hell. And you know what they will say then probably after that? is you hurt my feelings you hurt my feelings man I thought we were friends I thought we were good co-workers you're thinking I'm going to hell I've actually had people put this on Facebook you know as we've had these conversations and they'll put it on Facebook and they'll like get to mock the church and mock everybody and they'll say hey everybody I'm going to hell you know they, they think that there's no way they could go to hell I mean Let's just take that example. They're living with somebody they're not married to. So in their mind, it's, I mean, I'm a good person. I don't murder. I really don't steal. All I do is live in disobedience in this one area. There is no way that I'm going to hell. This idiot Christian judged me and told me I'm going to hell. But what do they know? And then they say, my feelings are hurt. So look at this proverb. Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Now look at the second part. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. What are wounds from a friend? A reproof given in love that helps them even though it hurts. So they go, oh, man, that hurt. That hurt my feelings. But I can trust it. Because if you can show that person in the Word of God, this is what God said, not what I said, then even though it hurt their feelings, and you can say, I don't want to hurt your feelings. I don't want to offend you. I don't want there to be a conflict between us. But I just want to tell you what God said. And even then, if they go, oh, it hurts, we can look back at them and go, well, then trust this hurt because it is a faithful wound. It is a paddle on your behind. It's God trying to stop you saying, don't do that don't do this, I would rather hurt your feelings and you go to heaven than to make you feel good on your way to hell. That's how you will, you and I, we're going to be friends like that. Can I hear an amen? But you got to decide now what type of friends you're going to be. And I know for many of you, you're in situations, eight hours a day, where maybe that's not always appropriate. But you are free to preach whenever you are off of that job, whenever you are on break. You have freedom in this country. And it's up to you to share with your friends, family reunions, your next-door neighbors. Well, pastor, what if they get offended? It is better for them to get offended and hear the truth than for them to never hear the truth. And go to hell, because the Bible says that kind of love is hidden love, and those kind of kisses, they mean nothing. Do you remember Judas when he kissed Jesus? He betrayed him, did he not? You think Jesus was like walking around going, he kissed me, he kissed me. Do you think that was Jesus's expression? Oh, Judas, he loves me so much, he kissed me. No, his expression was, this man has betrayed me. The kiss meant nothing. Did it not? I mean, do you think it meant anything? What do you think it would mean to you if I kiss you and then I betray you? Would you care that I kiss you? As a matter of fact, probably the kiss itself would be more offensive than even the betrayal because you're confused about what love is. Why is it we consider the worst kind of abuse, the worst kind of abuse, that from a parent to a child? Like you heard about this young African-American boy that was beaten by his parents, right, on Facebook, the dad missing, so sad, such a devastating crime. But what makes it even that much more despicable in our hearts is that these people were there to nurture and care and be there for that child because of that much responsibility is that much uh, a shock and that much pain we feel because they blew it that big. So if you are in a friendship with somebody and you have this much space to speak into their life, if you never go into those parts of their life, that is friend abuse. And if all you do is blow them kisses while their soul is going to hell, that's why that kind of an enemy, a betraying kind of enemy, is worse than an enemy that hates you just because they hate you. This kind of enemy lies and gets your hopes up and puts relationship uh, uh, hopes into your life. Like, I hope my mom takes care of me. I hope my friend loves me. And they, they deceive you and they leave you high and dry. Now I want you to see this in the Bible. I gave you three main examples last week, and you can write these down quickly. Open rebuke. Peter got rebuked by Jesus in Mark, uh, Matthew 16, 21 through 25. Now, I know I said this a little bit comical last time, but I want everybody to understand this. Peter was talking in such a way to Jesus that Jesus said, no, 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 Peter, you don't know what's going on. Here's the long story short of it. Jesus had to go to the cross, and he said, I'm going to die, and I'm going to go to the cross, but this is good for you. And, And Peter said, no, Lord, don't do that. Don't go to the cross. We can't lose you. Just saying something like that caused Jesus to look at him and say, Satan, get behind me. You do not have in your mind the things of God. Now, we, say that, we said that last week. It's kind of laughing. He called me Satan. But the idea is here, Jesus goes right to the root of the fruit of Peter's lips. Why was Peter talking like that? Because Satan was building a root down in his heart. A lot of times people say, oh, I don't know where that came from. Oh, I didn't mean to say that. I'm sorry. No, I, the Bible says we do know where your words come from. The words come from the abundance of your heart. So from the roots of your heart come the fruit of your words. And within a moment, Jesus looks at him and says, Satan, why? Because he's telling Peter, Peter, your thoughts are being influenced by my enemy. You're allowing the enemy who wants to destroy your soul and thwart the things of God to come out of your mouth. And I wonder how many times we allow the words of the enemy because they start off as thoughts in our minds. And then we allow these words to come out of our mouth. My friend, if you're around me and you hear words come out of my mouth that are from Satan, tell me. Warn me. I don't want to go down the path of destruction. Jesus loved Peter enough to call him Satan. And say, get behind me, because he knew his battle wasn't, Jesus' battle wasn't against flesh and blood. It wasn't against Peter. It was against the enemy of his soul. You see, we're fighting a real spiritual battle, friends. And that's why I'm being serious today. It's our obligation to warn you, to, to warn this culture and society. I mean, can you imagine living in the time of Noah? Could you imagine being around that time, the responsibility that Noah must have had to warn the world, judgment is coming How about during the time of Jonah and Nineveh when he's warning the Ninevites, God's judgment will come unless you repent. And then what about John the Baptist before the first coming of Jesus? He warned them, repent, for the kingdom of God is coming. Jesus is coming. And then what does he say? What does the book of Malachi say? The same way he came the first time with preachers preaching repentance and calling fathers back to their children is the same way he's going to come the second time with gospel preachers preaching and preparing the way for repentance so open hearts will be ready for jesus he doesn't take pleasure in wicked people dying he doesn't want this world to perish he says he's giving us time so that we might repent and hear the warning of his preachers you know who preached to me a stay-at-home mom my mother Across from a kitchen table, she was ready to preach repentance, heaven or hell. I said, Mom, I'm going crazy. I'm on drugs. You know, I need help. She said, all you need is Jesus. And then she said, you need to repent of your sins. Jesus will save you. Is every one of you, one of you here, are you ready to warn your friends? Are you able to preach the gospel, the simple message of Jesus? Are you willing to open your mouth and save lives? You look at it again, Peter. With Paul now in Galatians 2, through 14. And now you see Peter, he's acting as a hypocrite. He's becoming a legalistic person. He's only eating with the non-Jewish people when the Jewish people are not around. But when the Jewish people would come around, he would switch tables. And this basically showed that Peter was being double-minded. And yet Paul loved Peter enough, the Bible says, to oppose him face to face. Paul loved Peter enough that when he saw the hypocrisy of Peter, he went to him face to face. And he said, why are you doing this? Do you love your brother, your sister enough to go face to face? I just had a pastor leave his wife that I know. He's been married over 30 years. And I'm preparing to write him a Facebook letter because I'm not his friend anymore, but I can still get one more message out before he blocks me. Because I want to make sure that my friend hears face to face the word of God. One of my friends from Bible college left his wife, did the same thing. And both of these women are godly women, godly women. The men cheated, had affairs, and are leaving the ministry and, and leaving with this other woman. And I I wrote my friend, and he said, all you Christians, all you guys, all you are judging, this and that. And I wrote him back, and I said, if I don't do this, you can perish, and it will be on me. But if I warn you, you can be spared. I'm not doing this because it feels good. I'm doing this because I love you. Once again, thinking of that illustration with the Boston Marathon runner, would you not stop him? Would you not warn him if you knew he was going towards the explosion? Would you not say, "Friend, stop? I don't want to hurt your feelings, but there's some bad stuff right here. You're not going to get to that finish line. Stop. Face to face, I'm warning you. And then when you look at the third example of Paul in the churches, as a matter of fact, just turn there, Galatians 3, verse 1, look at your neighbor and say, it's just the introduction. I haven't even got to part two yet. Help us, Jesus. I love you so much, amen. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. I'm so happy we don't have the karaoke screen, at least for one day. One day. you got to use your Bibles. Use your Bibles. Amen. I think last week I told you all to bring your Bibles, right? That was prophetic. Amen. I always got to bring my personality out. A little break. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Do you know that when Paul would hear about his churches and the people there believing false things, he would get grieved. He would weep over them. He would feel bad. Why? Because he loved them. He loved these people of Galatia. He's not just making fun of them, but he's calling it out as it is. He says, you're foolish. You're being dumb on purpose. You know better. It's one thing to do something that you don't know better. It's another thing to know better and to still do it. That is stupidity. That is foolishness to be dumb on purpose. But then he goes one step further. He says, you're being dumb on purpose. And I think the devil has bewitched you, meaning you have a level of stupidity. I don't even think is humanly possible a demon who's existed for uh, thousands of years have helped you to be this stupid. That's what it means. He's talking to Christians, people that through his literal own blood and sweat and tears being beaten, he had been beaten for Christ. He had sweat, he had stayed up sleepless nights with them, and he is speaking to them, and he is saying, you are being dumb on purpose, and the devil himself has given you a spirit of ignorance. He said, don't you remember? Jesus died for you. So you don't have to live by this law anymore for your salvation. You are free from it. Live a free life. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. Those who are led by the Spirit are truly the sons and daughters of God. They fulfill the law of Christ, which is to love God and love your neighbor. That's what his message is. And then you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13. Quickly, please, because I didn't get to read these last week. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13. Here, he's dealing with somebody that's sexually immoral. They're having an affair with their mother-in-law. God forbid, what is wrong with this man? It's okay to laugh at that one. God bless our mother-in-laws. But a man is having an affair with his mother-in-law. And, and, and Paul says, kick him out of the church. Why? Because the man refused to repent. He was just simply saying, well, I'm forgiven. Jesus loves me. What difference does it make? I can do this. And Paul was saying, no, there is a moral standard. And if you repent, that means you return back to righteousness from the things you're feeling penance over. If you're truly repenting, feeling sorrow for this thing, you return to righteousness. You don't continue in sin and ask God to keep forgiving you of that sin yet, what does he say at the end? Look at this verse, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 13. God will judge those outside of the church, expel the wicked man from among you. Now, I'm not saying we in the church should go on a witch hunt and start kicking everybody out. But if you are living in continual sin, and we come to you and we confront the sin, and we say, sir, we, we, we've heard from your wife that your, your drinking is becoming alcoholism and drunkenness in the home. We warn you, stop living like this. Oh, I can handle it. If he says, oh, I'm okay, she doesn't know what she's talking about. See, it's pride. See, it's pride. You know, it's one thing if he goes, you know what, you're right, you're right, I'm an alcoholic, I need help. You see, that man, though he stumbles seven times, he gets back up, and God will help him. And we don't shame and embarrass him. And we say, oh, we'll help you, we'll get you counseling, we'll do all that. But if the man says, no, I'm fine, there's no alcoholism here. But the wife comes back to us a second time and a third time. The Bible says on that third time, we're to say to this man, if he calls this his church, we're to say that man privately, we're to say to him, sir, you either need to confess your sin and get help or leave this church because you are a wicked man here claiming to know God, but yet you're denying him by your disobedience. You have become yeast among the pure dough of heaven here. And the young to the old to other men may see you raising your hands. They may see you taking communion. They may see you participating in the church service and think that that behavioral pattern is normative for the church. And sir, no, it is not. Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery, I don't judge you, but now go and sin no more. We didn't come to throw stones at you, but we came to tell you go and sin no more. Why did Paul do that? Because he loved that man. When you go into 2 Corinthians, the man repents. He stops fornicating with his mother-in-law. He comes back, and then Paul applauds the church, and he says, see what good you've done. You've taught him that he's not going to be approved in that behavior. You really loved him. And now the hurt that he suffered is for his good, even though it hurt us all. But now he's learned not to live that way. Think about it, my friends. If there's really a hell, and how many believe there's really a heaven and hell? Like the confession we said, right? Amen? If you were really headed to hell, and you were really being deceived, and and, and you were on that pathway with rebellion and pride, and my only way, friends, my only way to get you to open up, to understand what God was saying was to hurt you emotionally and kick you out of this church, and it saved your soul. It brought you to heaven. It brought you repentance. Would it be worth hurting your feelings? I'm not talking about being rude. I'm not saying it. in row two, uh, seat four, uh, we have an alcoholic, everybody. Ro- ro- row two, seat four, look at him. Now look at him and say, Satan, get out of here. <laughs> no, like, <laughs> yeah, row rotate. <two. laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. Tony's a good brother. Let's give it up for him. Amen. <laughs> Amen, because there's no person there in seat four. Anyways, we needed that laugh. Amen. And now, lastly, this is the message. Somebody say the message. All right, turn with me to Revelation chapter 2, what Jesus said to the churches. In a day and age where our culture says having right and wrongs is wrong, we need to say everyone is right. We have to stand our ground and say there is still right and wrong. And as I shared last week, we're not defining right and wrong as cultural trends or religious trends in a church. We're not defining right or wrong on the hairstyle or makeup of women or the kind of dress that they wear or jewelry. We're we're not deciding this based on whether or not a man plays cards or watches a football game. All of these things used to be in churches, and, and they actually were used by the devil to bring destruction to the church because if we're calling things that are not sin, sin, and God's spirit is not behind that kind of preaching, then what happens is, as Charles Finney said, is that kind of preaching numbs the heart to what is actually sin and biblical so that when they hear the word of God, their heart is even harder to begin with. So we should not add to the commands of God out of our anger or striving to make people more holy. We should be very careful to only preach that which God has commanded. That's why the the Bible says in Galatians where the deeds of the flesh are named. He he says they're obvious. And and let's just go there real quick. Can I just go there? Can you say amen? I'm going there no matter what, but let's go there together. I pretend like I give you a choice. Go to Galatians chapter 5 verse 21 just so I can read it. Now this is not an exhaustive list, but you know like in the Old Testament there's a Ten Commandment moral code there. I mean here's the moral code of the New Testament, very similar. The only thing that's different is we don't have a Sabbath religious holiday. That's the only thing. But here they are, Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, the acts of the sinful nature, the flesh, are obvious. Somebody say they're obvious. Sexual immorality. That means they have sex outside of marriage impurity that means to do sexual things outside of marriage so one is saying don't have sex unless you're married the other one is saying don't do sexual things unless you're married so that would be uh, sex with yourself that would be lesbian sex that would be all kinds of sex the only sex that God affirms is between a husband and a wife okay So oral sex and heavy petting and nudity and, you know, people being perverted. This is called immorality, uh, excuse me, impurity. Immorality is that sense of actually committing the sexual act. Impurity being sexually perverted. And then debauchery is having a sense of arrogance with your sexual sin. And this can get into what's like pornography and the pornography industry that's going on right now and what we're seeing in uh, uh, the media. We call them debaucherous. And I'll use an example we would all know, like Lady Gaga. The reason why we call her debaucherous is because she's perverted like many others are, but the difference is is she's showing it off with an attitude of pride. Does everybody understand that? And it is obvious to most. It should be obvious. So we got sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry. That means we shouldn't worship anything other than God or place things before God. Witchcraft, which is the Greek word. They're pharmakia. And so sometimes people ask me, where is drug use prohibited in the Bible? There it is. In the ancient times, drug use, spells, and potions were a part of their religious practice of idolatry. Just like how the Native Americans would smoke peyote to have religious experiences, that's how they did it. Drugs, when they weren't being used medicinally, they were being used to worship false gods. That's why those of us who have done drugs can always talk about the things we did on those drugs. We never would have done if we weren't on those drugs because we were under satanic influences. So though today people may be doing recreational drug use, not bowing down to Baal or Zeus, they are still in the spirit of witchcraft, mind being able to be altered by satanic forces. There it is. Hatred. Discord, so he names it two different ways. One is just being angry at someone without cause. Another one is trying to break friends apart. Discord, to tear apart a cord. You know, cords are made of strands of, of material, tearing that cord apart. Jealousy, we all know what that is. Fits of rage. Selfish ambition. Now you notice this one is something that you really couldn't see in somebody else's life, but it would be obvious to the person who's living this way that God begins to tap on your heart and say, man, everything you're doing is just for you everything you do is about you selfish ambition it's a secret sin of the heart but god will expose it dissensions that goes back to making problems factions again you see listen to these three words discord dissensions and factions all are describing a rebellious nature that tears apart unity how many think that god hates that enough if you listen it three times So if we see in the church people are being divisive, people are sowing discord, and people are being uh, dissentious, we need to understand that is a work of Satan. That's a work of evil. Let's keep going. And also in the family, children who are rebellious towards their parents, same thing. Envy. Same thing as jealousy, to want what somebody else has. Drunkenness, to become unsober, not able to function because you've consumed too much alcohol. To not, uh, as Proverbs says, you sway like a ship. You feel like you've been bitten by a a, a viper. And you utter things that you don't remember and you fall down go boom. Don't do that, the Bible says. Everybody say amen. And then orgies. Do I need to define that this morning? (laughs) Parents covering their ears, right, uh, children's ears. The Bible puts it there because they were wicked and perverted at their time. And guess what? Now, I used to read this 15 years ago, and, and it was like, oh, my gosh, you could even imagine this? Now there's music videos doing this. It's unbelievable how much we've become, like, pagan Roman culture 2,000 years ago. When we've turned our back on God in America just since the 60s of sexual liberation, look how far we have gone. And he says, and the like. So anything that is like this, now here we have the list, that's a very uh, broad list, Uh, it doesn't go into all the general specifics, but I think this is is just like his list in Colossians and Corinthians, it's pretty standard in Ephesians as well. Does anybody see here about what kind of music I can listen to right here? No, there's no type of music, is there? It doesn't say, uh, and, and you shall not listen to rap music. Because that music is tribal music from the jungles of Africa. And when you do it, you get into a trance. And all of a sudden, you start shaking your booty. So do not listen to that tribal music. I mean, but there's Christians out there. I'm smiling now. Okay, so the serious moments are over for a little bit. Pause. Commercial break. Okay. You know... No, but there's Christians out there. There's actually Christians on YouTube telling you you are under satanic influences if you listen to rap. And they draw up this whole conspiracy theory and all of this, this and that. Does the Bible place that there? No. Okay. Does, Does it tell me here what I can eat and what I cannot eat? A dietary law. No. Does it tell me how to dress or how a woman to dress? Meaning can a woman wear pants? Does it say a woman here shall not wear pants? A man cannot have his ear pierced. Now, this may offend some of you young people, uh, older people who look to the Old Testament, all of those codes of piercings and things, but he didn't reiterate it here. And I believe there's a reason for that, because he didn't reiterate the cloth that we weren't supposed to mix. You know, Jewish people couldn't mix cloth, They couldn't also mix garden vegetables. So I believe out of their 613 laws, Jesus kept the moral law. Not those other kinds of laws. That's another discussion. But does it say right here, even if it hurts you to say it, I don't care you're going to say it. Does it say men can't pierce their ears? Does it say men can't get tattoos of their girlfriend or their wife or whatever? They get a little butterfly. Now, if, if those kinds of things offend you, here's the good thing. Don't do it. Don't. If you don't want it, don't do it. But but now somebody says to me, well, well pastor, it doesn't say anything against homosexuality. Uh, yeah, it does. Yeah, it, does. It's, it says sexual immorality. That is defined as only right sex between husband and wife. Well, we'll be husband and husband. No, no, no. That is not the definition it gives here. That is not the definition. See, it is here. Now somebody says, oh, th- this, this doesn't say anything here about beating up my neighbor. Yeah, yeah, it does. It says fits of rage. Yes, it does. Oh, this doesn't say anything about abortion here. Yes, it does. Selfish ambition. The number one reason why mothers uh, kill their unborn child is because it's not the right time to have a baby. So they murder it. Is it. Maybe it's not the right time for some of us to have our grandparents around anymore too, right? Do you know that the same thinking of abortion, eugenics, is the, it's, it's the idea of controlling human population, the same idea of abortion will also be applied to old people if our culture does not change. This was the same thinking in Nazi Germany. We don't need the young, we don't need the crippled, they'll be next, and then the old. We don't need the young. All of our babies, we don't need them. We don't need all of the crippled because they're not helping society, and if they breed, they'll cause more of an issue because this is an evolutionary mindset. We don't need the sick puppies. We need the right puppies, the healthy ones, and we don't need the old ones anymore. Put them to sleep. It's all there, selfish ambition. Amen. Somebody say preach. Okay, Revelation chapter 2. If you're ready for the message, say I'm ready. Jesus spoke to his churches in love. How many know Jesus loves his church? One of the greatest challenges that I've had as my personality goes. Now, some people are just nice and loving and, and everybody just likes to be with them. I always see like Ish, my main man right here. Can we just give it up for Ish? He's just lovable and cuddly. I used to <laughs> I used to bring Ish into meetings. Yes. I used to bring Ish into meetings and I would I would let it I would let it all out and I'd be like, and now hear it from Ish. <laughs> and then he would say, What am my pastor's trying to say is that he loves you. <laughs> and that's just his way of expressing his love for you oh man you remember some of those meetings we had some great ones together but now Berto is that guy let's give it up for Berto in the back pastor Berto. amen and you know i think about these men and there's many more in this church and young women and, and, and older and young but i just picked these young men out but what impresses me about them is i think they carry that heart of jesus that they can tell you something's wrong, but they can do it in love. I think that's what Jesus is doing in these churches right here. I want to love as much of the church as Jesus loves. Think about that. And one of my biggest challenges has been to treat his church, his body, the way he does. You know, because the church is not my body, it's his body. And so sometimes when I see somebody acting up in the church, like the hand, I come up and I start slapping that hand. You better get in order. You better live right. And Jesus is like, ouch, that's my hand. But I'm like, God, that's that person sinning, and I don't like what they're doing in the church. He's like, yeah, but that's my hand. Every time you hurt them, you're hurting me. And so I've had to learn as a pastor to love as much of the church and the body as Jesus loves. And to treat Jesus' body with the same respect, I would treat my own body. Yet when Jesus talks to these churches, five out of the seven are given serious warnings. And I want to speak them to your heart today. This is where I'm going to get serious now. I want to speak them to your heart. And I want to ask you to speak them to this generation. Amen? So by God's grace, we will not be hypocrites. Now remember, the difference between a hypocrite and someone that stumbles is the intent of the heart. The hypocrite has no intent on changing, but continues to pretend to be something. That is not the same as somebody who knows what they ought to do. And in trying to do that, they sometimes stumble. Does everybody understand the difference? So am I a hypocrite when I say I am called to be a great husband to my wife, even though the last couple of days I've been a little stinker around the house, telling on myself, honey, forgive me. Nancy, why don't you just come up here real quick? Come on, give it up for Nancy as she can. Kind of just feel convicted to do this. Do you forgive me? Yes. yes, I do. Thank you. I'm ready to cry. You know, I think i just been writing a whole lot. I've been caught up doing things. I just was lacking patience, you know. But now let's use that as an example, right? So am I a hypocrite? No, because I'm acknowledging there's a standard. And I acknowledge sometimes I don't live up to that standard. But I desire to. And when I fall from that standard, I get on my knees and I kiss my wife's hand and I repent. And and, However, you need to repent. You need to repent, husbands, if you ever do that. Uh, Take notes, you know. Uh, But this is the idea. The idea is when Christians say there's a law, but I break that law, now the question is what is the intent of that Christian's heart? Do they really repent and want to keep God's law or do they just go, forget the law. I'm just going to do whatever I want. Because if you're acting like that, saying, oh, I'll just do whatever I want. This doesn't mean much to me. That is the hypocrite. But if in your heart you're saying, man, I know I've stumbled. Lord, forgive me. You're not a hypocrite. Can I hear an amen? Okay, here we go. I got four minutes. How did this happen? How did this happen? Let me just give them to you quickly. You know what he said to the church of Ephesus? He said in uh, Revelation chapter two, verse four, he said, you guys lost your first love. There are some here that you've lost your first love for Christ. You need to fall back in love with Jesus. You may get bored of church. You may sometimes feel reading your Bible doesn't get your spark plugs going. But I want to tell you, God has not changed. The God that you met at an altar one day that brought tears down your face and rocked your life and changed who you were, that God is still alive. And he is still moving like that. And if he's not moving like that in your life, that's because you've walked away, not him. You need to go back to him. Get back your first love. He spoke to another church, Pergam, because the second church that, uh, that he spoke to, he did not give a rebuke to, Smyrna. He said, you guys are doing good, so we're moving to the third church, Pergam. They moved into idolatry, sexual immorality, and heresy. There are some here today that you've moved into idolatry. You've placed things before God, whether it's your career, whether it's your dreams, your own hopes, aspirations. But God is no longer number one. You need to repent of that. Some here are living sexual immoral lives, whether it's sexual immorality with yourself or with another. You need to repent and ask Christ to give you a born-again nature and live sexually pure. And some here have believed heresies, false teachings about Jesus. And there's a lot of them out there today, and some of them are in churches. And I'll just confront two or three. Some of you believe that Jesus will not judge you, but you will be judged, friends. You need to live right. The Bible says that we should walk in fear and trembling, working out our salvation. You can be sure of your salvation as well as being sure you will be judged. But if you stop being sure of the judgment to come, stop fearing the Lord, you can be sure you're going to miss heaven, friends. I believe that. You are not once saved, always saved. Though once you are saved, you are always saved. If you stay committed to Jesus Christ, he does not play games with sinners that walk away from him. He said it in Ezekiel chapter 33, he said it in Revelation, and he also said it in Timothy. If you turn from this and shipwreck your faith, it's your decision, he will let you go. He is not the divine kidnapper. Once you're in, you can't get out. You can leave if you want to live right, amen? And I don't have time to get into the other heresies, but don't believe that one. Number four, Thyatiree. He said that they had a false prophet named Jezebel that led them astray to commit sexual perversion, and they believed heresy. And I want to be a little bit specific here that the false spirit of Jezebel is a woman controlling. So listen to me. I love women having power. I love them doing all that they can do. But if women don't submit to the headship of a church or it, or to their husbands and, and, and serve the family, though I believe they can be elders and be led by God, but if women get out of order, that type of spirit that a woman can have. Have out of order can lead people astray and it happened in this culture that these women were leading men astray and they were doing it in the name of God and the best example that I could just give you right now would be like an Oprah Winfrey that when she says I'm not going to get married to Stedman I'm going to live however I want I'm going to teach everybody else what they should do and then I'm going to practice new ageism and if we listen to her women if you pay attention to her she will lead you into sin and to false beliefs That's the best example I could give you right now. Uh, Sardis. Now, I want you to hear what he said to Sardis in Revelation chapter 3, 1 through 2. He said that they had become dead in their faith and did not finish the good work that God gave them to do. Can everybody look up at me, please? It is very important that you finish the work God gave you to do. If you leave a place that God told you to stay before he told you to leave, if you leave that place too early, you leave a marriage too early, you leave a school too early, you stop a ministry too early, you leave your children, you do anything, anything that is unfaithful. God has a problem with it. God wants you to keep your commitments. And we can just bring it on down the line. God wants you to keep his commitment, uh, your commitment to serving him. That means read your Bible and pray and go to church until Jesus Christ comes back. Amen. You don't quit on that. You be faithful. Another thing he wants you to do is once you're in marriage marriage, he wants you to stay married. Work through the problems of your marriage. If he beats you, arrest him, then divorce him. That's the only permission. That and adultery. But other than that, work through your problems through marriage. Then teach your children. Raise your children. Then children, obey God. And then let us find a good church, serve in that church. And then when we are on our jobs and employed, let us be the faithful ones that are there that are dependable. Then lastly Laodicea because the the sixth church Philadelphia the brotherly love church was blessed here to the sixth church he said you are lukewarm but here's the biggest problem because we've always talked about this church being lukewarm but you know what the biggest problem was about them being lukewarm they were self-deceived This is the problem, my friends. I just want to just give me a few moments that some of you may be self-deceived and I pray today your heart's getting awakened but listen to the conviction of the Holy Spirit because if you stop listening to what God is gently knocking on your heart to do, you will become hard in your heart. And some people think, everyone look up at me please as I share this with you because I've watched this so many times. Some people think the greatest manifestation of somebody doing something wrong is that they're the most wickedest person in the world. Let me give you an example. Let's say somebody leaves the church. They stop serving God. What many here would think as they look at their Facebook and different things is they want to see them get a 666 tattoo across their head, start worshiping the devil, selling their body in home, uh, you know, prostitution, and prostitution, and start putting their children up for sale on Craigslist. And, and and if that happens, then they point to them and they go, look, see, they're a backslider. They've sinned. They're lukewarm. God's puking them out of his mouth. They deserve that. That is not the punishment upon backsliders. That is not the worst Thing that can happen because that person who has gone through that you know what you can do you can you know kind of just talk to them and go hey you're selling your child on craigslist do you understand you've kind of lost it a little bit here you're prostituting yourself on belmont and clark pull it together man pull it to take the lipstick off sir come on back home okay right you 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 would honestly say that and then you would say look at you but you've lost your mind right but this is not what this is not what he is talking about. What he says to this church that gets the sternest rebuke is that they looked rich on the outside. They looked prosperous on the outside. The kind of person that I have the deepest concern for is when I go to their Facebook and they're still going to church, but it's not every week, it's every now and then. And they just got married and they bought a new house and their car is really nice and they've shown it on Facebook and they're taking a spring break trip to Disney World. You see, that's the person I'm so concerned about because in their mind they think they are rich in their mind they think they're okay. And that's the one he rebukes. And he says, you think you're rich and prosperous, but you're really naked, miserable, blind, and poor. And I'm about ready to spit you out of my mouth. What is the warning here? Listen to Christ's rebukes while you can. Because the Bible says he can hand you over to your delusion. You can go to heaven. Excuse me. You can go to your nursing home. With your whole family there, a 100 of you at the reunion, they're all saying goodbye to you. And they're telling stories about how great you were. And I've done a funeral like this. It was so beautiful. All the family was there. And and then they laid out a Cubs, you know, uh, excuse me, a Bears blanket over him. Because as he was older, I mean, that was his favorite uh, Chicago Bears blankie. and, and, And they told stories. And a man came up and he sang a song to his best friend. You know, he did it his way. Like Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. And and you just look around at all that, and it just looks like, man, he did it. Good job, Bruce. You lived the American dream, man. You made it. You had a good family. You had a good job, and you were a Bears fan. Good for you. You will do that until these eyes close here, and then you will stand before Christ in heaven. And he will then say to you, depart from me, for I have never known you. And you will wish on that day you would have listened to preachers like this. You would have wished that you could hear what a preacher was saying to you. But if you're deceived and you think to yourself, I can't be that bad, you are in a very dangerous place. Now here is the application. I want to give it to you in closing here. Revelations 3.19. Would you read this with me in closing today? I'm just going to read this to you. And if you come back next week, that means you you still love Jesus. Amen. If you don't come back next week, we still love you. And we'll pray for you because you needed to hear this. Revelation 319, church is not on our schedule. It's on his schedule, amen. And I hardly ever do this, but I really want to keep this one out because I have to. It's part two, and I got to finish it. Revelation 319, those whom I love, I what? And what? Bam. Jesus loves you enough to rebuke you. You've heard those rebukes. I pray you live it. And now I pray you share it with your culture he loves you enough to rebuke you and discipline you and discipline means to correct you when you're wrong you know what I love about when I see uh, backsliders from this church that come back and they share their experiences with us you know one of the things that I love is when they tell me how miserable it was because I go thank you Jesus thank you Lord cuz you made it miserable on them that's a good thing because I love miserable backsliders you know why because they're being disciplined by a god that's still giving them another chance God is still dealing with them. He's He's taking away their heart. How many of you ever tried to walk away for a little bit? And you were a miserable backslider. I was one of those people. I was a miserable, miserable backslider. I had people that could do spring break with MTV and have fun. I would puke and hit the hit the toilet and pass out. You know what I'm saying? I, I was a miserable Said I had a friend that became like a drug dealing cartel. You know, I like sold weed out of little bags and I got arrested eight times. It it was God's way of saying, I got my hand on this boy. His mama's praying for him And I'm going to keep slapping him upside his silly head Until he repents And I thank God that I was a miserable backslider and that's what, by the way, what are we praying for? We can't change somebody's free will. So when you pray for somebody to get saved, you can't force them to be saved because Jesus would have forced you know, Judas to be saved. What you're praying is God give them more opportunities. Take away the lies. Open up the mind of the unbeliever. That's what we're praying so that they're in a club and when everything's fine and dandy, their eyes are opened up and they see demons and they see the evil there. Or they just made a million dollar deal and they go home and pop the bubbly and have champagne and they feel as low as they ever have been because God is opening their eyes to the reality that they're nothing without God that's what we're praying that God opens eyes he says those who I love I rebuke and discipline so be earnest and what repent come on so be earnest and repent thank you here I am I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come in and eat with that person and they with me see he loves us He wants to share his life with us. He wants us to forever be with him. To the the one that's victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Can you imagine being on the throne of Jesus? Can you imagine him saying, come on up here, sit around, sit up here for a minute. We're all going to be taking turns on Jesus' life like we did with Santa when we were little kids. You know, you're gonna have a little silly hat on. I can't wait to sit on Jesus' lap. You know what I'm saying? Ricky Ricardo's gonna go up there. He go, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He's gonna run and wrap his arms around his neck. You know what I'm saying? Like the little angels, like the little elf, are gonna be like, okay, okay, thank you, Ricardo. But that's okay. We're gonna love us some Jesus. We're gonna be sitting on his lap. Amen. Praise him. He wants to eat with us. He wants to hang out. How many would like to eat with Jesus? How many would like to be there, as the Bible says, with the finest of drink and the finest of food for eternity, to be there forever with them? Hallelujah. And then it says here, it says, verse 22, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. So this is a message for the Christian, the church, those who say, man, I love Jesus. This was a message for you. And what are those seven things? Number one, know that Jesus loves you. That's why he rebukes and disciplines you. Verse 19, be earnest. That means hear the rebuke. And then also repent of those things that he gives you. That's all in verse uh, 19. So number one, know what Jesus is saying. Be earnest to hear what he's saying. And number three, repent of what he's saying. And then number four in verse 20, have fellowship with them. How will you stay holy? How will you be able to live out this Christian life? By daily walking and talking with Jesus as your best friend. Wake up in the morning. Good morning, Holy Ghost. Lead me in your paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Hallelujah. Number five, always open the door whenever he knocks. Whenever God knocks and gives you opportunities of deeper fellowship and communion, always open up. He may say, hey, can I come to your marriage? You know, you guys have been having some trouble there at marriage. Yes, open up the door. Jesus, come into our marriage. Young people, can I come into your school? Can I be with you in the hallways? I see you falling to peer pressure. Yes, Jesus, walk with me through these high schools. You may be going to your job, and Jesus is saying, can I come on the commute? Can I be there with you on your break? Can I help you through this time of turmoil? Yes, Jesus, walk and talk with me. Number six, hear what Jesus says to his church. You have to read his word to hear what he's saying. He's not just saying to you that he's promising you unicorns and, and, and pink cotton candy and, and, and fields of, 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 of lollipop dreams. He's going to say a lot of things as you read his word that will challenge you. But hear what he says to the church because he loves the church. And never forget, never forget, this is the reward. We get to forever be with him and have victory and sit with him on his throne. At the end of the Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. At the end, it says, surely I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Those of us who go through life with Jesus, who allow him to teach us and correct us and guide us on that path, will have the reward of him. It's not a reward of golden streets and pearl gates. It's a reward of him. The greatest treasure about heaven and the new earth and eternity is you get to be with God, the creator of heaven and earth. The God that made the universe is your Lord and Savior, and he will forever be your God, and you will forever be his child. Can you stand to your feet and give him a hand clap of praise? Come on, thank you, Jesus. Band, would you come? Open rebukes and trusted wounds. How many today received themselves a good rebuke? Amen. Now, you don't have to let me know this, but did it hurt your feelings? If your feelings got hurt, that's okay. I would rather hurt your feelings and know you're going to heaven than have you just walk out of here feeling good on your way to hell. Now, for all of those of you who heard the rebuke and whether your feelings got hurt or not, here's the last question. Do you love him back today? Because he loves you. He loves me. Do you love him? If you do, you will obey his commands. And one of those commands is to go out and tell your friends and family today. So we're going to close out in prayer first for ourselves, that whatever we've fallen from the standard of God's grace, that we would ask him to forgive us and to make us right. And then secondly, that we would pray that when we walk out these doors, we would be witnesses for him. Don't let a Jehovah witness, i witness you. Amen. Don't let them, don't let a Mormon outdo you. Don't let that person who partied last, uh, this weekend outdo you on Monday with their stories. Well, I got drunk and I did this and I did this. Okay, Bubba, shut up. This is what I did. I got high on Jesus. I got to see the power of God. I got to get healed and set free. It's time for you to listen to me. Get high on the Most High. Take it, (laughs) try. gosh, I couldn't even imagine that. you tell telling Bubba to shut up. Does anybody even work with a guy named Bubba? No. But you know what I'm saying? Be like, listen, David, I'm going to tell you my story. Give me the name of a co-worker. Listen, those of you who work and have a co-worker that's going to want to talk to you about their weekend. Just think of their name right now. Everybody say their name. There is Mike. One guy. Anybody else got a co-worker like that? Come on, Ricky, with the police officers. Mike, another Mike. (laughs) Let's pray for these two right now. Father, we pray for Mike that this Monday, tomorrow, that both these brothers, as they go on their job, Mike, will get saved. Amen. Now let's just pray uh, for ourselves. Come on. Just lift up your hands as a sign of surrender. Oh, Jesus, show us if we have sinned in any way. Cleanse our hearts, Lord. Let's ask the Lord to do some heart examination, some heart x-ray in the spirit right now. Jesus, show us. Has anyone here lost their first love? Jesus bids you to get on fire again. What do you do to get you back your first love? You do what you did at first. If you met Jesus at an altar confessing your sins, that's how you got on fire. Well then meet Jesus at an altar confessing your sins today and he'll rebaptize you with this fire. Are there some of you here in immorality, doing things that are perverse? Ask Christ to forgive you, cleanse you, make you holy. If you've been believing things that aren't true about the Bible, repent. Outbursts of anger, division, selfish ambition. Hallelujah. If your heart was opened up to any of those things today, come on, just ask the Lord to change you. This is a time of mercy. This is a time of grace. He's bidding you to come. A few more moments before we dismiss. Jesus, would you come right now? receiving cleansing just say this with me i am cleansed by the blood of jesus i am the righteousness of god in christ jesus i am who he says i am i can do what he says i can do by the power of the spirit in me come on just right now thank him for that righteousness holiness is granted to you as a gift it's not earned salvation is a gift hallelujah transformation altar workers would you come we're going to get ready to dismiss as they're coming would you take now the remainder of these moments we have to pray now for three people that you want to warn about Jesus and his coming about what they're doing wrong you're not going to cast stones at them, you're not going to be rude to them but there's three people in your life come on I'm believing God he will put their names in your hearts that you can share this message with them Because an open rebuke is better than hidden love. What if their feelings get hurt? Wounds from a friend are better than kisses from an enemy. Right now, give us those three names, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. I pray for Paul and Gwen and Steve Carolina. There's more than three in my heart. There's four, God. That I have a personal relationship with that I need to warn Jesus pray for my pastor friend who I'm gonna to have to write this week as he's left his wife Lord have mercy on him. open his eyes God let him return to his wife let him turn from perversion and adultery God oh you love him Jesus you wish that he would not perish God Come on, 15 more seconds. We love people. That's why we pray. We're staying late because we love people. We're more excited to be here than if the Cubs were going in overtime. Come on. We're excited to go overtime for Jesus because souls are in the balance. Our prayers mean something to our God. He hears us when we pray. He said, ask of me the nations. I'll give them as an inheritance. We're asking, Lord for households to be saved, co-workers to be saved, friends and family, God, neighbors. Woo! Salvation is coming. Salvation is coming. Salvation is coming. Come on, sing it out. Salvation is coming. Yes, Salvation salvation is coming.
1: Salvation is coming. Salvation
2: is coming.
1: Salvation is coming.
2: Come on, raise up your hands and say, "Salvation is coming." Oh, yes, Lord. Is coming. Yes, God. To my friends, to my family. Oh, salvation, salvation is coming. Say, "I believe." If you believe today.
1: I believe to my family, Lisa, Mitchell, Tyler, Josh, Jacob, hallelujah, salvation, Tony. Salvation Salvation is coming. Satan, you must
2: loose them and let them go. They belong to Jesus. Vicki.
1: The salvation, salvation is coming.
2: Yeah. The yeah. salvation is coming. Come on, one more time. Just the drums and the voices. The salvation, salvation is, is coming. coming. Woo! Yeah, yeah. Yes, Lord. The
1: salvation. salvation is coming. Oh, yes,
2: I believe, I believe. Salvation is
1: coming.
2: Yes, Lord. Salvation. If you believe it now, give them a hand, clap of praise, hallelujah. A shout of victory. We love salvation you, God. We love you, God. Woo! Amen. Amen. God bless you. Slap your neighbor high five. Tell them salvation is coming. We're going to keep worshiping. You are dismissed. If you have any prayer needs, we're going to pray with you right now. Come on up. If you want to pray for forgiveness, healing, want to get filled with the Holy Ghost and Fuego, Amen. Keep singing as the band comes. God bless you. We exalt Thee today, God. Be with us as we go separate ways. Let us lift up the name of Jesus in this nation again. Amen. Come on, receive prayer if that's you as we're dismissing. Oh God, use every life group this week, every discipleship. Let lives be changed. He said, if I be
1: lifted up, I'll draw every person unto me. We lift you up, Jesus.
2: That have to oh go can sing go, but if you need prayer, come on, grab somebody and by the hand. If they're ashamed or embarrassed me. to come, bring them down. Jesus is moving here this and this we afternoon. Exalt oh, every burden is broken when we lift you up. Every lie is taken away. Oh come on, one more time, I exalt thee. Time! Oh.
1: We sing, we exalt.